Welcome to Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon. This is episode six, veteran living with PTSD unrelated to combat. And we're live. Cheers, Jeremy, sir. Thank you. We're drinking green tea right now. Not an adult beverage. Nope. Very nice green tea. So thank you for being here today. Where This is Talk Mental Health with Jeremy. We're trying to release this on official PTSD day. Yeah. Which is June, June 23rd. Yeah. Wait, 23rd? I think it's the 27th. No. Oh, yeah. Wait, no. 27. Yeah. Oh, God. We already messed up the announcement. Oh, we're off. We'll edit it out. It's <laughs> fine. It's fine. All right, Jeremy. Well, I want to thank you for coming here. Yeah, thanks for um, having me. You, today we're going to be talking about, you've had experiences with PTSD mm-hmm. and insomnia, kind of raveling anxiety a little bit in there, too. And you also say that those two experiences were related in some respect, even though they're totally different stressors, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. So... Thanks again for coming in, man. I'm excited to to really talk to you. Kind of, we've been talking about this. When did we kind of start talking about this? Like October? Yeah, I think we've wanted to do this for a while now. And uh, okay, yeah. But when did I really fa- first start to get to know you? We played basketball together. Yeah. So you're my uh, classmate at medical school. Sorry, yeah. I guess we should have led with that. Yeah. Classmate at medical school, and we got to know each other playing basketball like every Thursday, having yeah. fun. And then it was October mm-hmm. that you kind of told me what was going on. Yeah, yeah, it started around that time, and then we got towards the our finals of last semester, towards, what, what month is that, like? May. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, one before that, semester before that, what is that, December? Like, yeah. early December, yeah. That's when all the symptoms of that started coming. I came to you personally about it, and just Well, what up. symptoms are you referring to? So, this is more of the insomnia that I had previously, uh, that with that final semester, and... Um, yeah, I came to you, opened up, and you definitely helped me out. So why did you feel you wanted to come out and tell me what was going on? Well, I I knew that you had personal uh, mental health issues in the past, and I saw one of your YouTube videos where you just opened up to the whole world, and I thought that was really brave, and I said, well, I probably should open up to somebody about this, and uh, I thought you were just really approachable on the situation. And you knew quite a bit about it, and you had a history of insomnia yourself, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and so that really helped me to say, okay, well, I can really relate with this guy, and hopefully he's got some tips, and you did, and it helped out perfectly. Yeah, man. Well, you know, it really, insomnia was my first kind of symptom of mental illness. That's when I knew that something wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, I've said this, you know, on the podcast and in all my videos, like when, as soon as I went to Scotland, like I was struggling with jet lag, but it's that jet lag <clears> lasted months. It was just like couldn't go away. And at first, I think that's why I was ignoring the insomnia because I just automatically attributed to jet lag, yeah. and you know maybe not being able to get right with the the rhythm out uh, the sun rhythm, circadian rhythm. <laughs> circadian. I, I always say that word wrong, yeah, so I'm yeah. hesitant to say it. Yeah. Whatever, I'm not gonna try again. Okay. But you know that was what I was attributing it to, so I was ignoring the fact that I was having terrible anxiety every single night. Mm. So uh, yeah, thanks again for opening it up to me back in. I think it was like October, December. Yeah. And, you know, we've grown close over them, still playing basketball. You're still schooling me basically every week. Yeah. You, you know? got me in golf, though. Yeah. 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 There we go. We're going golfing after this for yep. all the listeners. Let's go. So uh, meet another one of our other homies out there. But let's get into the deets now, man. So you started experiencing the PTSD much before that insomnia in this fa- past term. Yes. Yeah. So <clears throat> we can go into the story of that soon. But... That started in 2012 when I was in the military. Okay. It was my first year in the military, 
and that started about December time, and I, I still experience symptoms, but uh, so about six years now. It's, so that's pretty much the time frame of that. Um, and the insomnia didn't really expose itself towards, but only until medical school did I start really experiencing insomnia. Okay. And uh, I had nightmares more related with the symptoms with PTSD than insomnia. And um, yeah, and I didn't really know what it was when I came to insomnia and just trying to understand it. And Yeah. So now you joined the military like right after high school, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, so I did like one year of community college. Uh, really wanted, I've always had that urge to you know, serve my country and uh, I wanted to get out of a small town that I was in. So I joined the military, I joined the United States Army and I was an infantryman for four years. Uh, got out. I met my wife while I was in the military and she was going to medical school or she or her, she was planning to go to medical school and I was like, well, I got to do something. So yeah. I, and I, I got to step my yeah, game up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I was like, all right, it, it, it's time. And uh, I went to school and uh, I went to undergrad and we applied together and we both got in. Dude, and the, the Dr. Wrights. Yeah, two. The two wonderful Dr. Wrights in the class of 2021. Well, hell yeah, man. Yeah. So prior to, you know, when this PTSD started for you in the military childhood, did you have any significant mental health issues or was it a happy childhood? Were you <clears> kind of just a normal kid? Yeah, yeah. I So as a child, um, I did. In Florida. I, in Florida. Florida eating ga- alligators for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> not all the time. I'm not I'm not an expert on alligators. I don't know why everybody thinks being from Florida, you're an expert on alligators. Wait, but... I thought to graduate high school in Florida, you had to like wrestle an alligator <laughs> as just part of your courses. Yeah, no. No, that's not <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so in Florida, um, I guess growing up, I did have some issues. And mostly it was related to my mother leaving me as a child and leaving me with my father. Um, My dad said I had a lot of issues growing up uh, through uh, school and different uh, daycare services and stuff like that. And I I think it just passed on probably under the books of different uh, symptoms of different diseases or Growing up in developmental issues, or, yeah. Okay, and 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 um, for the most part, I I feel that I had a pretty good childhood, but I, okay. I'd say that's a huge factor. Um, probably my mom leaving when I was a kid, and yeah. uh, just growing up without, and just things kind of uh, snowballing, I guess, from there. Okay, but I I wouldn't attribute most of my symptoms nowadays to that, but I I know in that a traumatic event prior to a uh, PTSD um, diagnosis it, it kind of it's a risk factor so yeah and, and yeah. not even for just PTSD it's like all mental illness yeah, you know yeah. some sort of trauma in the beginning of life can have such a big impact on how the brain develops absolutely um, I'm basically talking out of my butt right now considering we're first year med students <laughs> one day on this podcast I'll be able to educate you on really the intricacies of that all but hey first year med student chill out we can only ask questions on respiratory cardio MSK <laughs> okay have you okay, no, chill out but getting back to our story so you did experience some trauma as a first year or as a first year as a child you know you you Hmm. didn't have the picture perfect childhood you had certainly some stressors but went off to the military when you were in the military at first once again kind of same question were you feeling good were you happy went to the military were you resentful like no i'm i'm actually 
absolutely proud and uh, I honor the moment to have served my country. Okay. And uh, I, there's no resentment going back now or thinking about it and going in either. So, I mean, everything was great. I mean, my military time, I, I, I had um, the four years was an amazing experience and uh, okay. really made me to the person I am today. So there's no resentment. No. Yeah. It's sometimes hard to relate to someone who went through an experience like you did. Um, not not really the childhood is what I'm referring to, but the Army. You know, when yeah. I was 18 years old, I was off at college, you know, basically partying like an idiot, having a good time and studying. And here you are entering into the military as a young man. You know, that's just such a different experience. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the ages of like, you know, 16 through 25 are such an important, pivotal years. Absolutely. So that really, you know, built your character and development. And I still need to learn more about the kind of military psyche and just like how that impacts how someone develops or just thinks and and whatever um so now i think all the listeners when they're hearing this you know military guy joined military right after uh high school yeah yeah and then you know we're we're going to talk about ptsd so i think everyone's assuming that this is a combat related story which it's not No, no so let's get into that so uh my military service we mostly stayed and deployed to countries like Thailand, uh, Korea, and uh, we stayed in the Pacific. We didn't go to Af- Afghanistan or Iraq, um, but so my military was non-combatant. Okay. And with that, though, I was stationed in Hawaii, and uh, I would go out and hang out with friends and go out downtown and stuff like that, and um, mostly uh, hanging out with you know guys that kind of like to party I was young Mm -hmm. going out partying a lot you know just trying to live it up Mm -hmm. and when I was in that kind of not really in that scene but more so just going out partying I didn't really think about any of these situations ever popping up with a certain circumstance that's coming Um, but with that uh, through association through different things there was a gang member or a gang down in uh the downtown hawaii Mm -hmm. and we had just went out one night just grabbed a couple of drinks and we were heading back and um coming back from that event we uh, it just it happened so quickly um by seconds into it i uh my friend, so my friend got jumped. Well, so, okay, so the friend yeah, got let's, jumped. Let's, yeah, let's, let's make sure we have a little, You yeah. and your buddies were just out on the town, right? Just yeah. having, like, a good time, boozing, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Just having yourself a good time, whatever. Yeah. And then, so, I remember, like, you said that kind of, like, a, just an argument or something escalated at a bar, as they tend to do? Oh, no, no, it wasn't really an argument at the bar. Okay. Just, um, we were just out having a drink and came back from dinner, and my... They just miss miss an identity of who my friend was in association with another gang fight from what we learned later on. Okay. Um, And they saw him and automatically thought he was part of a a past event. He was somehow linked to the gang. Wrong. Whatever. Wrong wrong time, wrong place. And he wasn't at any time related to any gang or anything like that. Damn. But so the, the, the gang that the, it was like a group of eight or nine of them. They associated him with that event. And by association, since I was with my friend, 
they jumped both of us. So it was uh-huh. two against uh, nine. Dude. Eight or nine. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so we, we <laughs> first thing I remember, we were walking back to our car, um, and out of nowhere, he's like, you better get ready. These guys are coming at us. Because he, he grew up in a, a situation very similar to gang violence and okay. stuff in his past. And uh, he just knew what was about to happen. And I didn't understand it at first. And they just ran up on us. And one guy just knocked out my friend, one hit. And there's like four or five of them just surrounded mm-hmm. my friend. And they start kicking him and stuff. And next thing I knew, I was with another guy. I was holding him right in front of me. I was holding him. And I, I was looking at him in his face. And I just remember a guy came up behind me. And I, he grabbed me by my my shoulder and just jabbed a knife right into my side very slowly and then he pulled out and he jabbed me again and again and so how many times total three damn i got stabbed three times yeah on my right side um an immediate response i i just i didn't know what to do i mean i knew i just had to stay alive and keep this knife from going yeah any further air geez yeah or any spot that would have killed me and so I'm wrestling with the guy in front of me and I got the guy behind me stabbing me and I, I threw the guy in front of me at the guy behind me and tried to just back up and try to swing. And I, I knew if I went down that these people were going to kill me. Yeah. And I just, at that moment, I, I just said, okay, just stay alive. Try to get your friend, these guys away from your friend so they don't kill him. And I just back up and I kept swinging and trying to get out of it. And then out of nowhere, they all just said, let's go, let's go. And they start running. Damn. And they ran away, and I just remember looking over at my friend. He's he's knocked out cold. His face is bleeding. He's <clears throat> he's not even conscious. And I I look at him, and I my side is just killing me. Yeah, I couldn't breathe. I collapsed long front. Yeah, yeah, bleeding out. And um, I just remember trying to get him up, and he wouldn't he wouldn't wake up. And I was like, get up, get up, get up. And it took me a while. <clears throat> and then I got him up, and him and I started walking away and I'm just holding my side just my my lung had collapsed at that moment and uh, I was bleeding out of my whole side my abdomen Mm -hmm. and uh, I start walking towards this pole at the main strip and trying to get back to that pole I can barely walk over there and um, he just sits me down on the pole he didn't realize what happened he was unconscious and he he uh, tags down a policeman. Policeman comes up, sees right away that I was stabbed, and and uh, <clears throat> calls the ambulance. And I'm going in and out of it. Some guy that was walking down the strip saw me, and he's and I'm just I'm saying I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. And he's he's just saying you're not going to die. You're not going to die. I got you, man. And he's just like trying to keep me aware of my situation. I'm going mm-hmm. in and out of it. And uh, I'm having like out of body experiences, and mm-hmm. so much pain, and I just I just remember the ambulance comes up and kind of starts getting foggy from that situation. Um, they they start you know injecting IV and trying to get me to stay aroused mm-hmm. and awake, and uh, I'm carted off to the ER and uh, there in in Hawaii, and I. I Go into the ER. They take me <clears throat> straight to one of the rooms, and they rip all my clothes off mm-hmm. right away. And I'm I'm laying there naked underneath the fluorescent, sli- the fluorescent lights, and I'm 
scared and uh, I'm like, is, is this it? Am I going to die? Like, I just, everything's just going so fast. And um, I remember just sitting on that table naked in front of a group of eight uh, members at the hospital mm-hmm. and the doctor walked in, walked in. And at that moment I was, I said, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Hey, this guy's got me. Like, so he's up until that point, that, that point, that yeah. moment, yeah. you thought you were going to die. Right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I, in so can you like remember how that feels? Like just that you your brain must have just been going crazy right there. Absolutely. I mean I just I was young. I was so this can't be it, you know. How old were you? I was I think nineteen or twenty at Damn, that time. Damn, baby yeah. Jeremy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Damn. And we I, I was just scared. Um most of all I didn't want to die. And yeah. then I mean as a military member, you are faced with the fact that when you, if you go to war, you have to say, okay, am I, do I want to die for this mm-hmm. cause? And automatically nothing, every, it goes straight to my head. Yeah. That, that's what I want to do. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I serve my country. I want to serve my country. I don't want to die in war. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm willing to risk my life for yeah. my country. And, yeah. um, that's something every military man asks themselves. And, I think just when it hit me, like, oh, man, I, I may actually die at this moment. Mm-hmm. I was scared. I, I think I wasn't prepared for it. I mm-hmm. didn't know. I was alone by myself, no family out there in Hawaii. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. No, man, that is heavy. And I can't even imagine you going through that. Yeah. And just the pain and, like, you know, listening to you tell this story, you know, it's it's it is very hard for me to relate because I just, I haven't almost died. I haven't been stabbed you know mm-hmm. anything never been in the military i'm completely civilian but i've had elements of ptsd that are very related to my car accidents absolutely and just listening to you tell that story and i could see you know we're not filming this video camera i can see that you remember every single little detail mm-hmm. you know about the those it probably was what only 10 minutes not even it seems yeah. like yeah some whatever but you it, i bet you can remember everything yeah. everything about that because it is just such a the most stressful moment your body has ever been in yeah literally and you came as close to death as you probably have ever come so the er doc came in the room Mm -hmm. and chest tubed you right uh so they uh i think they did the uh, mri first and uh just to look if any of the abdomen structures were damaged Mm -hmm. or something like that thinking back to it now as a medical student that's probably what they started with they did start with that but that's why they did it and then uh, I remember the anesthesiologist came in and said, hey, we have to put you under. You're going off to the OR. And they sent me off to the operating room. Woke up probably been, what, five or six hours later. They did a, a search through my stomach for any other damaged structures and then placed a chest tube at the same time. And um, I just remember waking up. I was you know, a little out of it from mm-hmm. the drugs and stuff. And um, my uh, friend had walked in the room. He was all right. And uh, he's like, man, I'm so sorry. I, he was I, better off than yeah, you. Yeah, he just had a couple Holy scratches crap. on his face. Nothing happened. And Damn. Um, I'm, I'm very glad, you know, that yeah. nothing, because he looked like he was taking the worst beating yeah. than I was. Yeah. And uh, I he went out in the first, you know, a couple seconds. And um, yeah, but I, I'm glad he was okay. And I mean, we just looked at each other in that moment. And uh, you can just you can tell that, you know, we're just both glad that we made yeah. it through that. Because it could have turned south real quick. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. Mean, one, one or two more stabs, too. Yeah. yeah it could have been a totally different storyline. Yeah. I might even not have been talking to you right yeah. now. Yeah. 
That is heavy, man. So you spent like five days in the hospital, right? Uh, at the first hospital, yeah. Okay. Said, and then I was probably in the hospital a total of three weeks. Oh, after wow. That. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, just trying to each day open my lung back up because it collapsed and, mm-hmm. you know, just going through with the pain. And so the, did the wound only really impact your lung? Did It didn't hit any other structure? No, I got very lucky in my oh, abdomen. Okay. Yeah, it definitely, it didn't, it was, one of the stabs is very close to my liver, but it must have yeah. dissected right through Ooh. one of the channels that, you know, didn't have any arteries or anything. So I got Damn. very lucky there. And then, but my lung collapsed and I still have symptoms with my lung, my lower lung uh, lobe. Uh, more like wheezing. Right, lower lobe. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Did you aspirate in there at lunch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But, but damn. Yeah. All right. So getting back to the meat of this. Yeah. So you, you know, you spent those three weeks into the hospital and then, you know, you left. And I imagine I, I make this statement a lot with my hospital experience. I just wanted to get out of the hospital. Like the hospital is not a fun place to be. And for me, I always thought like, this is going to be the worst of it. But once I leave, once I'm healed, like, I'll feel way better. What was your experience? Well, I think mine was very similar. I, I I knew I wanted to get out of the hospital. And, um, I mean, they kept me drugged up the whole time. So yeah. I, I don't remember much of my hospital experience. And um, <clears throat> I didn't have any family because I'm from Florida. And mm-hmm. that's a long trip all the way out to Hawaii. And I didn't have any family there. And uh, I just had, like, a very nice nurse to help me out. Mm-hmm. And uh kind of wanted to get back to my unit, my military unit. Mm-hmm. And feel safe and surrounded by, you know, friends that I talk to every day. Yeah. Yeah. They, they came to visit me some often, but they, they had uh, things they had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I knew I just wanted to get out and I wanted to, and I, I've, I've ran my whole life and I've been really good. I ran cross country. I ran in the army. I was a 10 mile runner in the army. And oh, wow. Yeah. I was one of the top in my battalion. And I knew that I didn't want to lose that part of me like that. I was, uh, you know, one of the top soldiers in my battalion. I didn't want to lose my health. I didn't want to lose any of those things. So I knew I wanted to get right back to where I was before with running and, you know, dealing with the collapsed lung. Mm -hmm. And so. So how is your physically, how did your lung recover? Are you, would you say you're back at 100%? Um, I think I, I. Probably never go back to 100%. I still have problems with my okay. uh, right lower lobe uh, or just that area. Um, it would deep breaths hurt for a long time. Yeah. In six months, I was, if I took a deep breath, it would, I feel really pain. six months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And um, it, it would feel like a scratching or rubby feeling. Oh, okay. End. Yeah. So yeah. that was, that was hard to go through. And then after that, uh, about six or seven months after that, I started running again, okay. taking it slowly each day. And it was coming back from that recovery. I just slowly, you know, made uh, small steps and goals for myself. Okay. And um, I would say I'm, I'm really not back fully, but I, I don't think I ever could be. But I'm well off. Well, yeah, well you off. still run way better than I do. Let's be damn <laughs> sure about that. Yeah. Ugh. When I guard you on the course, I'm God, chill out, bro. That's what I like, count on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I might have size, but definitely not speed. But damn, man. Okay, so, you know, physically you were able to make a, you know, strong recovery, dude. It's, at least to me, it seems like it's at 100%. But obviously you, you know, I'm sure you were a freak of nature athlete prior to that. Now, when did the elements, though, of the PTSD start to really emerge? So I didn't really even understand PTSD. And uh-huh. um, at that time, I just... Uh, I 
kind of waved off all of my symptoms as kind of a military member. You kind of just go through this. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're in the military, there's always that hidden like macho that you got to yeah. be the man that you got to be for that person next to you. And you don't really think about, you know, what's going on with myself. What, what am I feeling mm-hmm. right now? You think about how am I going to, you know, in the combat situation, how am I going to help my friend next to me? And uh, I, you don't really want to show signs of weakness when you're mm-hmm. in the military. You don't want people to think that they can't count on you. So mm-hmm. I never, I really tried to shake everything that really came to me in the military as like, okay, I'll, I'll get out. This will go away. And um, I just got to be strong for everybody else around me. And um, I, I learned afterwards how that not even close to the right thing to do. Yeah. So. <clears throat> so does the military, you know, since so much of the military has people that, have experienced PTSD, Mm -hmm. do they at all try to educate the men and women of the military prior to their combat exposure or, you know, be like, you are susceptible to this? I I don't think I really um, remember any training. There's probably something there, but Mm -hmm. I don't really remember. You weren't uh, paying attention? Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking about the weekend, yeah. (laughs) But so I don't remember there being uh, specific training on education on PTSD or mental health, but it is very largely um, covered in the military. And there is a large push to really help out veterans with mm-hmm. any mental health disease certainly man and it's it's a huge need I, i'm willing to maybe go work in the va in the future just because i'd love to help those men and women that experience just wild stuff yeah it's absolutely it's um, needed yeah very much definitely needed. man so you know what is a what did a symptom of ptsd look like feel like after you know was it in you while you were still in the hospital mm-hmm. or once you're back home I think it took me a while okay. to start seeing it. It wasn't more of the acute phase where it was just right after I started so it was associating. So yeah, I went yeah. seeing people around. I was, you know, kind of, it took me a while, about, I would say about six months after that. Okay. I was kind of to myself after that. Um, kind of stayed in my, my barracks room and, uh, didn't go out, mm-hmm. didn't really hang out with people that much. Were you medically discharged? No. Oh, I, okay. I served my four years in okay. honorable discharge. And, um, but at the same time, right after the hospital event, I went back to my barracks. I kind of hung out. I was on, um, leave for a while mm-hmm. trying to recover. And I, I stayed to myself. Every, they had different, uh, missions that they had to go off on. So mm-hmm. I was by myself quite a bit of the time. And I think that's probably when most of my symptoms really started to manifest. Hmm. And I just didn't notice them because I wasn't going out. I wasn't talking to people. And, you know, I would, wasn't really thinking about it uh, right after so i think yeah around six months it Hmm. started to when everybody started coming back and i started hanging out with people and going out um just going out to dinner and stuff i started to notice that when i was in large crowds of people that i would keep my back to a wall in a hard place because i didn't want anybody coming up behind me again like that situation and um i think i was just hyper vigilant and a very aware of my surroundings and and you kind of are trained in the military to be aware of your surroundings especially when you're mm-hmm. out on tour or anything and you i think just those those signs just showed up a lot larger yeah. after that and uh, I, I just would pay attention to my environment a hmm. lot more people around me um i would 
try to really understand what they were doing in that public situation. Are they here just for dinner? Are they here to hang out with their family? What are they doing? You know, large groups of friends, I'd watch out for any gang member tattoos. Mm. I, I would just look for it just to keep myself aware. And I would, it was just kind of stressful in a, yeah. in that crowded environment to constantly be thinking about, am I going to be stabbed again? Am I going to, mm-hmm. yeah. So that, that's when I started noticing, noticing those symptoms. Um, and another symptom that came up after a while was uh, nightmares, it, but it was a oh. reoccurring nightmare. It was a reoccurrence that instead of I was getting, uh, instead of being stabbed, I was shot. Oh, okay. And I just remember waking up from the same dream, lying on that, on that pole that I was on and bleeding out. And that happened quite a bit. And uh, it would happen probably every two, three weeks when I was in the military. Wow. And, um, and but were the flashes only when you slept? Or what, did you ever get them during the day? So I... The the thing with flashes or going back and thinking about the situation, uh, I didn't really think about the situation itself, but I would play out these scenarios oh, in my that mind. Dream. Yeah, yeah, that you were saying. Yeah, not the, not the dream so much, but the um, going out into public. What if it went uh, just a little different way? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how yeah. would I change that situation? How would have I done differently if I could go back or? Well, if, and uh, how close you came to death. Yeah. Like, a couple things could have happened, and man, dude, like, you came super close to just, yeah, you know, and so I imagine, like, so you're just kind of always in this tough state of mind, Mm -hmm. because you said when you weren't having the nightmares and whatever, and you were out with your homies, you know, or, I guess, Hunter at that time. Uh, That Yeah, we we met a couple years ago. And, you know, but you're basically, when you're awake, you're always in that, like, sympathetic state of mind, just, like, always amped up. And then, um, you know, when you went to sleep, you said occasionally you would have these terrible, terrible nightmares. Yeah. And or just like constantly playing out. Well, like, what if this happened? What if this happened? What if I had reacted this way? Would I have been better off? Would my friend have been better off? You know, yeah. whatever. I, I imagine it's a terrible place, yeah. terrible way to try to live. Mm-hmm. And being that you're always so energized through that sympathetic response. I'm were you having trouble sleeping right then? Uh, I've always had issues with sleep, and I've okay. been able to, in the military, you kind of learn to go off of, you know, four or five hours of sleep and make it yeah. each day. So I, I never attributed not sleeping to that uh, PTSD, more so just, okay, that's my okay. Uh, my occupation. You know, I, I'm in the military, I have to, you know, do what I got to do each day, and I have to wake up at 5 a.m., 4 a.m., whatever the call be. And so I did, I've never related insomnia or not sleeping to that but it, it probably yeah. overlapped quite a bit with the occupation and, and symptoms but the nightmares hit me big and um, I would say avoidance uh, just avoidance of large crowds keeping my back to a wall were you depressed then too uh not really no okay. I, I, I don't think I ever got depressed I had a lot of good friends but I mean at the initial stage right after I, I couldn't really talk to anybody about it but a lot of good friends in the military, you know, I, I could talk to quite a bit after. And, um, yeah, depression wasn't one of the symptoms that I ended up having. So when did you, at any point during, you know, dealing with these nightmares and this heightened state of awareness where, mm-hmm. you know, you're always just thinking, you know, like protecting yourself. Like, yeah. And I imagine a lot of uh, veterans 
constantly are in that state of mind. Yeah. Um, when did you seek out any means of mental health care? So <clears throat> I would say we did a training event um, probably. We being the military. Military, okay. yes, yeah. About a year after, or I'd say about eight months to nine months after. We did a training event where we went off for, I think it was about two months, and uh, we were out in the field a lot, running missions, you know, just not not able to seek help at that time. And when I came back, uh, I was really trying to, you know, understand that situation and what happened to me. Didn't really think about it when I was on the field. Whenever I was out in the field, for some reason, my mind would just clear of all that. Mm-hmm. And I would say, okay, well, you got to pay attention to what you're doing right now. You have to, mm-hmm. you know, do your job in this mission and do that. And so I never really thought about it. And then when I would be back in garrison or when you're not out in the field, I would just constantly think about those situations, like first responder situations. What would I do if active shooter was right here? Mm-hmm. What if somebody got stabbed right now? What would I do? And I still have those thoughts today, like, you know, like, what would I do if I was that first responder or something happened to me right now or somebody, something happened to these group of people, you know, what would I do? Um, and I, I realized that I was, you know, having all these symptoms like avoidance, um, that nightmare. The nightmare was the main thing that yeah. got it for me because I, I didn't understand everything else. I just related it to yeah. being in the military. Well, and, and I imagine avoidance, <laughs> yeah. this is going to sound dumb. Avoidance is an easy thing to avoid or ignore. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, no, no. Because, I mean, it's just like, oh, yeah, my behavior is sort of changing. And like maybe your friends could even notice avoidance. Yeah. Uh, in some capacity, but I don't think many friends would call you up and be like, I think you're experiencing avoidance right now. <laughs> yeah. like, you should speak to a professional. Yeah. As much as I'd like them to, it's just, it's not going to yeah. happen. But nightmares, nightmares you can't really avoid. Like, that yeah. is vivid, scary, like, oh man, dude. Yeah. Okay, so you're having the bad nightmares and you yeah. finally made the phone call to the VA or how No, you- I just went to uh, my platoon leader and I said, okay. look, I'm having all these, you know, thoughts of like uh, nightmares. No, 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 um, suicidal thoughts though yeah no depression no suicidal thoughts um and uh, i was having these nightmares and the hyper vigilant and large crowds and stuff like that i was like i need to do something mm-hmm. and they yeah. sent me to a therapist and in the military it's kind of hard to keep a schedule with a therapist because you're constantly at least for the infantry you're constantly going out on missions and going mm-hmm. out to the field so it's hard to keep a schedule, and that didn't really help me that much. Mm-hmm. I only got to opening up to the therapist about the story, and uh, not much followed from it. You know? Okay. Okay. So at that point, you know, you had tried to seek some means of mental health care, going mm-hmm. to see a therapist, wasn't the best help. So how did you go about managing your p at this point did you identify that as ptsd at least did you really like you know i, I have ptsd from this? she she um, okay. being my therapist was the one i identified okay. it and but it, oh i'm sorry go ahead they, no and uh with that i didn't understand anything about ptsd mm-hmm. i just i was like wow i didn't even go out to combat like i there's no way i can experience this right now i, I have squad leaders that have been shot in the face you know people i've seen with their legs blown off like mm-hmm. that's ptsd I don't oh, have there, yeah. I don't have any of that. There's no way I could mm-hmm. experience what they experience and have associated symptoms that they have. Yeah. But I mean you can't compare one man's tragedy to another. And I like what you just said right there because you know, I've been trying to relate the best I can throughout this conversation to this, but like I keep saying, like 
dude, I, I've shot a gun like five times in my life. Like, I'm a Sally. Like, it's fine. I just, it's not for me. And like, so that like military state of mind is something so far removed from what I've lived. But, you know, you describing this experience of constantly being aware or constant having nightmares. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I remember I crashed, totaled my dad's Jeep a week after I got my license, like a total moron. Just going down this hill, the famous, if anyone's listening from Litchfield, Connecticut, the wet leaves, which it, it damn was rainy and there was a lot of leaves, okay? Those things are slippery. If you have ever, <laughs> listeners, ever slipped on wet leaves, okay? This is what happened. And I also, you know, it was a big V8 Moda in that uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's actually basically the same year of that Jeep I'm driving now. Yeah, I have nice. totaled one of those. <laughs> um, actually, it was a little... But floored it, basically, spun the wheels out, hit a wall, flipped over the entire thing once, and landed fine. And I hopped out of the car, and I didn't even have a scratch. Yeah. But I definitely had, like, a mental harm. Because, dude, like, I remember my parents basically forced me to keep driving because I was, like, so afraid to drive. I just didn't think I could hack it, Hmm. like, a week after I got my license. And they knew I was a good, good driver, but I also had this, like, I love speed sort of side of me. And just, like, you know, burning out and mess, burning out the, uh, you know, back tires and stuff, having fun in cars. And I just was obsessed with cars. So they always were so afraid that I was going to do something stupid. And lo and behold, a week later, freaking total dad's Jeep. The company, literally, it was a company car. And the policy was that, oh, offspring of, of an employee can drive the car. That's fine. After I crashed and totaled that thing, the whole company policy changed. The Logan Noon policy. Yeah, no more offsprings, uh, spouses only. You're an idiot, John Noon. Don't ever let your son drive this thing again. But that being said... I just, I had those same nightmares, dude. Yeah. And like, there was this one, the road I crashed on was the easiest way to get home from my house from school. And, you know, I grew up in a really rural area. There wasn't that many roads and that many different ways to get home to my house. But for like months after, I would purposely take the wrong turn and take long ways home because I couldn't drive past that area. I have very, very similar to that. So with that, that pool that I, I was lying on uh, when I was bleeding out and uh, scared, I revisited that pole a long time after, and I remember just kind of being dissociative and not really being able to be in the moment. I was kind of out of my body looking at the pole and just like kind of lightheaded and couldn't think. And uh, But going back to that pole, um, it helped me really understand what had happened, and it brought all back the memories and everything, and I think it was a good thing. I... I remember just looking at the pool and I said, well, wow, I made it through that, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's funny actually, cause my wife now, Hunter, if you're listening, I love you at that. I met down there in downtown, uh, Honolulu. We, she lived a block away from that pool. Oh damn. Yeah. So the first time I met my wife, we were a block away from that. And I can oh. just remember thinking that was the back alley right across the road, right uh-huh. there. We were up at this pool overlooking the back alley. And I said, look, it's the back alley I almost died on. And uh, I, I didn't tell her that. The first, I didn't want to scare oh, her off I feel the first. You, yeah. I feel you like your baby girl. <laughs> like, I almost died over there. But girl, <laughs> when I look at those eyes, you're all I can think about. <laughs> and she was like, oh, Jeremy. Like, uh, your heart is mine forever. But that is hilarious, man. <laughs> yeah. That is so funny. So, okay, yeah. well, so you like kind of conquered that demon of facing yeah. that head on. I know uh, we have a tea time in about 15 minutes. Yeah. So let's try to at least work on okay. you know, getting back into the grits of it and what the listeners yeah. can benefit the most out of. 
you said therapists at that point didn't really help you mm-hmm. because you, you know, just didn't have that consistency. You yeah. know, maybe you also didn't connect with anyone you really liked that much. Yeah, and I, yeah, it was a huge factor. I didn't connect with my therapist like I probably could have if I had more time and, you know, more reoccurring uh, interviews or yeah. with her. Yeah. yeah. So what did you do to manage your PTSD? In the military, nothing. I kind of just hung out with my friends, um, tried to just, you know, keep on playing that macho card of like, mm-hmm. eh, yeah, I got to do what I got to do. And it wasn't until I started going to undergrad that it really hit me like that, that I was kind of more alone on undergrad because I was out of the military. I didn't know anybody at the college I was going mm-hmm. to. I had, I'm with my wife at this time. And I just remember I was in undergrad. I was like, wow, I really got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. These nightmares are reoccurring even more. And I'm getting Damn. more and more anxious in, you know, like high, every high night crowd. sort of thing or once a week sort of thing. Yeah. More so it was about a week, every yeah. week. Yeah. And I feel that when I was in class, like I would just think about where somebody came in right now with a knife mm-hmm. and try to stab me or what. And I would always be thinking about those first responder situations. Like, what would I do? What do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, try to prevent those situations. And, um, I was like, wow, this is getting really out of control. So that's when I started seeing somebody else. But again, I wasn't consistent with it and the therapist didn't help. Uh, and I just didn't stay on that track too. Yeah. And I kind of have since then, learn to understand that happened to me yes it was this fucked up mm-hmm. and that i can't change it and the thoughts that i have now i can change those and i've taken that path of saying okay yeah i'm more of a self-cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. and trying to understand that those those things that happened you know i can change how i think about it but i can't change that yeah and that's really helped and the nightmares have gone over time they just kind of faded away um, I, I don't really have it much anymore. Um, so you're but, saying just mostly with time or like you mentioned this self kind of cognitive, this self thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I definitely relate to that. But those lessons that I learned kind of, I do relate a lot back to my therapist. You know, mm-hmm. I, I saw a therapist consistently. I was lucky. I found like my third therapist and talked with him for like a solid three years, maybe about it went, it started out every week to like every two weeks to once a month or so. And then I took a long break, and then I'm, I have actually just started to go seek a therapist again. But I, I don't always think it needs to be perfectly consistent, because you can take those lessons and those things that they say and apply them to your real life and, like, self-heal. And so, I mean, what kind of thinking practices, what mantras do you try to use in your own head to sort of alleviate any of those symptoms of PTSD? Or also, maybe did you read a pivotal book or watch a pivotal documentary that really kind of helped you? I think just hearing about it and and passing about, you know, uh, just cognitive behavior and what it does. Uh, My wife, Hunter, she is... um, has a background in psychology okay. and uh, just hearing it in passing. And then uh, I think some something on MCAT, I ended up studying about something about cognitive behavior uh, therapy. And I just, I was like, wow, that's a great way of thinking about it. You know, you don't let it manifest and continue to grow this monster if you just think about it differently. Yeah. And I, that really helped me. And um, I think I just did everything right too. I was exercising, okay. doing taking a lot of, of uh, just taking care of myself mentally. And, you know, I found a good group of uh, 
study buddies when I was in the undergrad. So that helped too. And just, you know, over time, I started to realize when I go out into large crowds, I was like, hey, you're okay. Nobody's going to do anything right now. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is going to be okay. Nobody's going to come up behind you and stab you. And, and I, I kind of just talk myself through it whenever I start to see that. Yeah. And I still get sometimes, like, if I feel like somebody's following me in a car behind me, you know, I'm like, okay, well, why is this person following me? I'm like, okay, they're just going home. Yeah. You know, that's, so you still that's, have those elements of heightened awareness. Yes, yeah. Anxiety, basically. Yeah, and it, yeah, anxiety, I guess we haven't touched on that, but anxiety. Well, you time. know, what? you've done such an incredible job today, dude, telling your story, and I have so much respect for you opening up. Yeah, I mean, this, we've been recording now for 44 minutes, and I think it's essentially all you talking. So you've been doing a fantastic job just sharing all the details of the story, man. And um, I think what we're going to have to do is split this into a two-parter. All right. Because uh, I need one for every week anyway. So you basically have to come back. I'm forcing you. Okay. Because um, I think the second part of this story, we really should get into then, you know, because you we're in the state of recovery mm-hmm. where you're doing well with the, at least the management of your PTSD symptoms and sort of having some anxiety here and there. Yeah. Um, you were taking any anti anything any medication for the anti uh, PTSD? Uh, no, no medication for anxiety, but mostly just for sleeping. I was taking Ambien. Okay, um, just to help with the sleep. Yeah, okay. just for the sleep. Um, yeah, no benzos. Okay, that came. Some of that came later with uh, last semester okay well let's with, leave that yeah. for the next episode yeah because i mean dude this has been a badass story i think a lot of listeners are gonna really appreciate you uh saying and then it's gonna be cool because then listeners can come back and when we do the second part you know hear how you were doing well but then you started to have some different sort of anxiety in medical school yep. and people think like you know once we're in medical school that it's all peachy and like we made it and everyone's so perfectly happy but it's very very difficult uh, medical students, physicians are actually at a higher um, probability of, uh, you know, substance abuse, divorces, or just being totally burned out and unsatisfied with their job. So I think in that second part, when we talk about anxiety, it's going to be really beneficial for listeners and a lot like uh, episode three with Nilu, where she talked about her anxiety. So we can kind of like compare and contrast like your experiences with that, what you did to manage it. Uh, one thing you were talking about with the cognitive behavior stuff, there's one thing my therapist gave me, this little card, and I don't have the card anymore, but I still remember it like perfectly. And this is something that I use to kind of alleviate anxiety when I'm in the crazy moment. And I've made a YouTube video about this. I'll put a link in the show notes or I'll figure out how to do that. I always say that, but I don't really know how to do that. So I don't like, that's what all the pros say on podcasts. They're like the show notes. I'm like, do I have show notes? But okay, the multiple test. All right, it's super, super simple. So anyone listening, like maybe in your state of mind, this could have helped you too. But this is at least what I did when I experienced significant anxiety. Okay, whatever's bothering me right now, a minute from now, is this going to continue to bother me? The answer most likely is still probably yes, a minute from now. But then it's like okay, ten minutes from now, one hour from now, six hours from now. And then like a day. And then I just kind of keep like extending that out until the answer is like always no. Like, okay, am I going to think about this moment, this anxiety where, uh, you know, I'm worried about whatever. It doesn't even really matter. But a year from now, am I still going to be thinking about this? Like, no. And so that's that. I, I guess it's cognitive behavior therapy. I don't really know. I don't know what category. I'm not a therapist here. First year med student. Okay, get your facts <laughs> straight. And uh, but that's what I use. So. All right, so let's close this podcast off, part one of the podcast. Part two, we'll do more anxiety as a med student. Let's do it. We'll call it that. It'll be dope. Let's do it. Um, but what would you say to 
uh, someone sitting in this room who had, whether they're a civilian, um, a veteran like you, who has gone through some crazy trauma that's given them elements of PTSD, what would you encourage them to go do first and uh, manage what they're going through? I would say each individual is uh, different, but I my thing, if I could have, is to stick with a therapist. Immediately seek out help. Seek a therapist and try to understand what happened to you. Talk to people that have had a story like this. Try to watch YouTube videos of somebody explaining it to you. Mm -hmm. Try to understand what is going on to you and why you're feeling these things and why are these symptoms coming up. And once you start to understand it and you talk to somebody, it's less of a monster. Mm-hmm. And you you stop trying to feed that monster and it goes down. And seeking help is the main thing and talking to people. Okay. Well, hell yeah, man. I mean, it's just, it sounds so simple, but just that simple of act the act of like talking to like you said the first person you talked to was your platoon leader yeah you know like of course it always is good to go seek a therapist like we talked about but even just if that idea of going to talk to a therapist is super intimidating talk to anybody like i think the worst way to handle any sort of mental health crisis is alone you know like we all go through elements that we can relate to one another and each of one of our experiences is of course unique but we can always relate to one another so if we open up about these things that we're struggling with it makes everything so much easier Hmm. you kind of can take that ownership over and like even me and you today you know i thought i was going to really struggle relating to this story to be honest but you know my car accidents really kind of like when you were describing what you're going through it's like oh yeah like i've gone through something similar you know i certainly have never been stabbed and almost died but definitely through something similar well dude excellent job today super super cool i'm sure the listeners are gonna love this one too man so we're gonna read this today is national p national world ptsd Uh, i just know it's ptsd come on jeremy okay we'll we'll well, you call right. yourself an June honors med student. Unbelievable. All right, June 27th. It's, it's National or World PTSD Day. And it is PTSD month. June oh, is the month yeah. of oh. PTSD awareness. Nice. Yeah, so. Nice. Do you guys have a color? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, because uh, mental health is lime green. That hat's got lime green, so technically it, it counts. PTSD is mental health, so whatever. Um, well, dude, excellent job. We'll have you back for part two. Uh, you guys enjoyed the podcast. You can comment below, reach out to our homie Jeremy. He'll be linked on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. We'll figure it out. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, man. man. And that is a wrap on episode six. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today. If you are not already subscribed, please subscribe. Give me that five-star rating, son. Give me that five stars. If you give me a four-star rating, just press um, subscribe. I don't even want you. I'm just kidding. That's cool, too. Next week, we have on my close friend, Laura. She's going to be talking about anxiety and what she goes through, how she deals with it. But once again, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it so much. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah, wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? 
<laughs> yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. The I didn't realize you liked me that way deal. Because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba-da-ba-ba.